Radiomano Papachango. Andrew Akerst here. I'm sitting on my beautiful new composting toilet in my mobile home RV, maybe. Mobile poop, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Anyways, I built a large mobile home on the back of a used Canadian Army truck over the last couple of years. And I'm just taking it down on its maiden voyage with my good friend Jake. Now we're headed down to Joshua Tree for a meditation course. Uh, I'm sending you this voice memo because the truck runs on veggie oil and we're looking for a refill sometime in the next three weeks before the end of June uh, in the California area. And we're long time tangentially speaking fans, listeners. We'd love to meet some other people around this part of the world, uh, but more so even find restaurants or people who are collecting already, uh, or yeah, some restaurants that have used veggie oil that they're willing to donate to us in our truck. Um, yeah, love your podcast so much. Love you a lot. Lots of my friends love you a lot. Uh, please don't stop doing it like you were talking about doing last week. That would make me and many other folks very sad. Anyways, I'll send you a little picture of my truck. So that might get you inspired to get this voice memo up before too long. All right. See you later, Chris. All right, if you can help out Andrew and his truck, you can contact him on Instagram. Uh, I just added here, where is it? Little Island Woodworks. Yeah. And you can also see some photos of the truck. It's awesome. It's really cool looking. So yeah, if you have a restaurant uh, or any other means of collecting veggie oil and you're somewhere in Oregon or California, drop Andrew a line, fill him up with a regular. Yeah. Okay, this is um, this is a, an unusual podcast episode. Uh, my guest, Nathan, in air quotes, uh, it's not his real name, but he's a clinical psychologist and um, because of the nature of the conversation, he thought it was prudent to keep things anonymous, which makes a lot of sense. Um, basically, what happened is he reached out to me and said, you know, I think um, it would be helpful for listeners possibly to uh, listen to a conversation between us, sort of a mentorship uh, conversation. Uh, I'm, you know, obviously a little torn about these sorts of things, but, you know, I am twice his age and I'm probably twice the age of most of the people listening to this. So I guess 
Possibly there's some value in whatever I've learned over the years that may be, um, you know, useful to some of you. Uh, I certainly get a lot of emails asking for advice and guidance. So uh, I guess there's uh, a desire for that sort of information. So basically what this is, is a conversation between us um, where uh, Nathan is is asking me a lot of questions um, along those lines. So this may or may not be your cup of tea. I hope it is. And um, yeah, it, it was fun. It was interesting. Uh, and I think we will probably do two more of these, uh, maybe monthly, maybe one next month and one in July. Because he wanted to talk about relationships and creativity and, and um, work stuff more specifically. And in this episode, we pretty much, it's more of a general, like, you know, how do you know what's the right decision at any given moment in your life? Or, you know, should I stay or should I go sorts of things. Um, so it's more of a sort of general philosophical conversation. Um, so I hope you find some value in it. Speaking of value, uh, what I'm going to be doing with a lot of these episodes uh, going forward is have a free version and a version for paid uh, supporters of the podcast. I need to do something to spur people to uh, click on that subscribe button. And uh, so that's what I'm doing. This one ran about two hours. So the first hour or so will be the free version. And then the second hour, where things get really juicy, uh, will be the paid version. So uh, if you're a free subscriber and you want to hear the rest of it, uh, you need to become a paid subscriber to get it. Although I think they're on Substack, they sort of automatically offer you a seven-day free trial. So you could also just do the free trial and, and let it expire if that, uh, that five bucks is a problem. Uh, let's see. Jared wrote to me and he said in the last month or so, the Amazon charitable link, um, has stopped working. I guess it was called Amazon smile. So a lot of people who use Amazon had, uh, signed up for that where the Amazon affiliate bonus money went to a charity, but apparently Amazon has just discontinued that. Um, so Jared said, this is a good opportunity to get people who were donating to a good cause to jump over to tangentially speaking, which is, uh, I would say it's a good cause, but, yeah. um, because the Amazon smile thing doesn't work anymore. So there you go. Um, if you are on Amazon and you have subscribed to the Amazon smile thing, which is a, was a good idea. I don't know why they discontinued it. But apparently they have. Uh, you might want to consider resubscribing to Tangentially Speaking. The way you do that is you go to my website, uh, thatchrisryan.com, go down to the bottom where it says Amazon Affiliate Link, click on that, and then bookmark that page and use that bookmark to go to Amazon in the future. And in theory, at least, anywhere from 3 to 7% of what you spend will kick back to the tangentially speaking multimedia empire. And uh, I would be most appreciative of that. Okay, so let's go on here with this conversation with the guy we're calling Nathan. Very smart guy, 
I really enjoyed chatting with him. I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Uh, now we're recording. Okay. <clears throat> okay, Nathan, welcome. Or or yeah, you should welcome great. me, I guess. Yeah, welcome to you too. Yeah, I, I am just so shocked and delighted to be to be talking to you. I, I'm just a you know longtime listener, huge fan, and I, I feel like one of those people that I've heard you mention where like I know a lot about you and you know nothing about me, but I'm just I'm somewhat starstruck here to be. Uh, all right, do we need to like uh talk about farts or something for a little while to uh to wear it down and get us yeah i mean we could talk about it or we could just do it you know just <laughs> each let one out you know yeah. um, it's, it's got to be audible though i mean you know right do you know uh, that it, do you know the joke uh why do farts stink no so deaf people can enjoy them too <laughs> i like that <laughs> I, I don't know. Was that oh. ableist? Is, did I just commit a faux pas? Oh my god! No, so I you... think it's inclusive. It's including everyone. <laughs> I think know? so. Yeah. We want everyone to enjoy farts. Uh, yeah. Do Do you want to tell the backstory of what's happening here and and how this came to to pass? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I was listening to to your episode. He is risen, um, and you were discussing um you know kind of feeling w- wondering about why people listen to to tangentially speaking you know or, or or whether you've kind of told all of the stories that you have to to tell and i i was biking i was in manhattan i remember where i was i was biking on the on the williamsburg bridge and i was thinking that's not why i, I don't listen to you for the stories i don't listen to you for the content really it's i mean of course there's interesting things and interesting guests and interesting ideas that you share but to me it's it's a lot more the process of you live a life that i feel like i i want to emulate where you know you have great conversations and tell great stories and have adventures and kind of live in a way that's authentic and unique and and so it so it's not it's it's not just that that content and and I thought an interesting way to kind of pull that out is via some sort of like kind of translating that onto uh, you know a sort of mentorship like uh, relationship where um, you know, it, it's somewhat self-serving because it's me, of course, but where I, I, you know, talk to you about what's going on in my life and get your perspective, your wisdom, as I try to be more, as, as, as I try to kind of gather some of your wisdom, your kind of process wisdom of, of, of living. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And so then I, then I emailed you that basically, um, and thought it would go nowhere and was, was delighted to, to get your response that, you know, this was an interesting idea. Um, I I think one other thing just to, to note is I think a unique aspect here is that, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist and, and so I think that there's a, 
relationship that is therapy that I don't want this to be, you know, but there is a relationship that is mentorship that I do. And of course that line is a bit blurry and we, and, and, you know, perhaps that'll be a shared process of figuring out how to stay on the mentorship side. Um, but I think that that's a, a unique aspect here, which is just, um, yeah, that, that I kind of attempt to have therapeutic conversations with, with people for a, a big part of my job. Right. Right. Well, when you mentioned that, uh, idea, a couple of things occurred to me. One is that I've, I've got a lot of, um, people reaching out, asking for advice <clears throat> all the time, mm -hmm. uh, to the point where, uh, a couple of years ago, I, you know, people were like, look, I, I, you know, I'll fly to wherever you are just to like, be able to talk to you for an hour about this thing I'm going through, you know? And of course I felt very uh, touched and, and honored by someone willing to make that commitment. But, you know, obviously I also felt like you're making a mistake, you know, it's not worth the time. The point is I decided to, to sort of make myself available and it was more of a mentorship than therapy because I don't have the patience or frankly, the clinical training to do, I have a PhD in psychology, but I don't have the, you know, experience or training to do clinical. Uh, and the reason I didn't acquire that training, one of the reasons is that I find it very uh, frustrating to not engage a hundred percent transparent, honest, you know, the, the person says, well, what do you think about my relationship, you know, after you've listened to them talk about it for, you know, days or hours or weeks or whatever. I want to tell them what I think. I don't want to say, what do you think? Uh, you know, how, you know, how do you think this is similar to your parents' relationship? Or, you know, I don't, I don't want to like do that sort of nudging. I don't have the process. I just want to say, dude, get the fuck out. You're crazy. You know, she's going to destroy your life, you know? And right, so, right. Yeah. And uh, I re I understand that from a therapeutic perspective, maybe that's not all that useful. Um, you know, you know, free advice is worth what you pay for it. And $500 advice is worth a few hundred dollars, I guess. But anyway, that's all I could do to be, to be transparent. It's like, I'll tell you what I really think. Cause I, cause most people, I don't think their friends are telling them what they really think. I don't think their family's telling everybody's trying to protect you. I'm not going to protect you. I'm going to like, give it to you yeah. straight. So I did yeah. that for a while, maybe five or six people. And then I ran into the same problem, which is I, I ended up feeling really affectionate and um, connected to these people. And I, and it just made me feel really gross to charge them money, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I ended up in the same fucking hole that I thought I dug my way out of. Uh, so anyway, mm -hmm. that's one, that's one thing with my experience with, you know, online mentorship. Um. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is, I wonder to what extent, um, you know, I do try to be transparent on the podcast. Uh, I have a lot of friends who have come into my life through the podcast. So we've talked, I, I've talked with a bunch of people about how am I different from what you thought based on the podcast, mm -hmm. right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And 
pretty much the universal answer is you're the same. There's just more. There's more that I didn't, that you don't do on the podcast. There's parts of your life you don't talk about on the podcast. Um, Anya, I met through the pod. She, she listened to my podcast for years before we got together. And, you know, every once in a while I'll do or say something and she'll be like, see that, that I never would have known you did that. Like I do goofy voices and, you know, characters and drop into weird, you know, bizarre uh, reality sometimes. And I don't really do that on the podcast, but anyway, uh, so I don't want to misrepresent uh, to people like how wonderful my life is. I don't want to do the Instagram version of what, you know, Chris Ryan's life is like, you know, it's, I'm pretty happy and I feel good, but I don't know that I've discovered any veins of ancient wisdom um, to impart. So I just want to like get that disclaimer out at the beginning there. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. And I, uh, yeah, like I, I feel like one last layer of one, one last fold here is just, I feel like I, we're we're very different in many ways, of course. Um, but I do feel like there's some, like when you describe your life, you know, when you were around my age. How old are you? 31. 31, okay. You know, when, when you were, you know, of course, kind of different psychology, but, tra- you know, you, you were a psychologist or, or thinking about it. You were in New York. You were had a, you know, really an opportunity, I guess, for a really high paying job. I I feel like a, almost like a former version of you or something, but in today's world where Mm. I'm figuring out, okay, well, how does, how does, you know, how do I move forward with my career in relation to chat GPT? Or how do I move forward with my love life in relation to online dating or like, and I think it, I think it would be interesting to hear your take on you know current life life problems of a 31 year old you know and 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 Mm. hope and and i would hope a 31 year old is cut from a somewhat similar cloth you know and and not trying to you know overly idealize you here but I, i just do think you tapped into something that led you to lead a pretty cool adventurous connected life and so you know i think there's some wisdom to impart there but it's just a changed landscape right it's a changed landscape but the way of moving through it could be similar i think um yeah yeah i i mean okay so so just to sort of get the timeline um adjusted the new york stuff was in my mid to late 20s and Mm -hmm. so when i was 31 i was uh living in barcelona i'd been there for two years at that point a year and a half maybe um i had just split up mm, like permanently with a woman i'd been off and on with through my 20s and i had started a relationship with uh, another woman, a Spanish woman that ended up lasting six years. 
Um, I was teaching English, but I had decided I was going to go to grad school and get a PhD in psychology. So I was already on that path, but I I certainly, um, I hadn't started yet. I was just sort of getting ready to, and um, so that year I'd been in Barcelona two years, I'd hooked up with Peggy and then uh, I looked into grad schools and then we moved to San Francisco. So I was just starting grad school uh, mm-hmm. when, when I was your age around in there. Um, so I had already stepped away from the New York thing, which was pivotal. It was a big deal because as you say, it was, I left a lot of money on the table when I bailed on that. Um, but when I did, and I went to India and then traveled in Southeast Asia for a year, year and a half, um, that that was really, that was a big deal. That was a confirmation of, um, you know, I feel like a lot of what we do in our 20s and, and into our 30s is confirm what we already know to be true in our souls or we deny what we know to be true in our souls. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's, that's a lot of the challenge because, you know, there are all these voices and trying to pick out the voice of your authenticity from all the other voices that are saying, you need money. Women won't be into you if you don't have money or you need success or you need, um, you know, to be, you know, super fit and manly and have the, all the tattoos and, you know, whatever voice it is that's telling you, you need to do this shit. Those voices are really loud. And, and I feel like our twenties is a time of confusion because all these voices are coming at us and I feel like for me, what was really important was trying to not lose track of this voice of authenticity, Mm -hmm. which is what made me leave uh, New York, right? Yeah. And when I was in Asia, I felt like that voice got louder. And I was, because when you listen to the voice, it gets louder. When you ignore it, it gets quieter in my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm th- this this is super interesting. The voice of authenticity like to to me to to put it in perspective, uh, you know, like I'm currently living in in you know New York and I am working half as a clinical psychologist, half in a tech company that builds apps for health stuff. And the the tech company is just very um kind of golden handcuffs e you know there's great health insurance and good pay and fancy parties and co-workers that are lovely and a nice office in soho and whatever and yet i think we're we're kind of selling something that i don't believe in i don't know that these apps are actually going to help anyone but you know very, very golden handcuffsy. Very, very. I have a lot of desire to to stay there. And around Christmas, actually on Christmas, I I don't think this is relevant, but I had just eaten an edible and seen Avatar, 
And then I came <laughs> home <laughs> in one of those, I, I saw Avatar in one of those like um, movie theater chairs that reclines all the way. And it's, it's like the top tier movie wow. theater chair. And did you have the yeah. 3D glasses on? No, I didn't. But I, oh. I make me nauseous. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was in it. Whatever happened, I was I was within the Avatar world. I don't know that that's related. But anyway, I came out and was like, I can just quit my job. I just kind of realized maybe this is the voice of authenticity, but that it it's an option to just quit my job. I don't need to have another job lined up. I, I don't need to figure out health insurance. I can just quit my job. I'm kind of lucky in that I have the private practice on the side that can can also kind of bolster my, you know, I, I won't be hemorrhaging money that poorly or that that bad but you know i haven't listened to it i mean i i plan on it i plan on leaving but i've kind of planned on leaving for a while but it's and and i like i really think i'm gonna do it you know i really think you know july ish i'll i'll actually leave but it just when you left new york or, you know, when you kind of walked away from a bunch of money, or, you know, or went to Barcelona, how much resistance was there to that? Like, was the, did the moving towards that voice of authenticity feel like a leap of faith? Did it feel risky and dangerous? And, or, you know, like, when you're in it, it seems, um, it, it, it seems kind of insane to walk away from what i have you know <laughs> yeah yeah and when i quit i uh, several of my friends and my mother was like were like well, what are you doing are you crazy have you lost your mind you know like you're making all this money you're 26 years old you, you got a ba in english like and you're making you know 100k a year and you got a free apartment and a car and like what are you doing um but to me, it was really clear, like, you know, I knew that I wanted my life to be, um, you know, the kind of life that when I got old, I could, I'd, I'd have stories and they wouldn't mm. be stories about like meeting the monthly quota. You know, they would be stories about the time I got dysentery and shot down a palace wall, you know, like that's the kind of story I wanted to have. Right. And, um, you know, so it was clear to me that there were, that there was a fork in the road. And yes, if I kept going on the path I was on, it would be comfortable and lucrative, but I looked at the man I was becoming and I didn't want to be that guy. Right. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the, the man I wanted to be to quote Bruce Springsteen. Um, and uh, so, you know, I had no guarantee that the other path would lead to the man I wanted to be. But at least in those first few steps, I knew I was doing the thing that I was afraid to do, but I knew I wanted to do. I knew it was more in alignment with who I was as a person and who I wanted to become as a person than that safe I remember this wasn't the first time I'd done something weird, right? I'd already hitchhiked to Alaska and back twice. Right. You know, I had already, depending, I mean, I went from New York to India and I went from San Francisco to Spain. So there was a lot between there. 
but you know, I had already traveled quite a bit. I'd already like, um, sort of faced a lot of fear. So yes, it was scary, but it's like cold plunges. I think that's one of the reasons cold plunges are so effective. I don't know about the physiological stuff. I'm sure, you know, it helps circulation and hormone regulation or whatever, but I think, totally yeah. yeah, it's mostly just hair. about being afraid. Yeah. You know, overcoming your fear, overcoming your tendency to just stay in comfort right. because of some, because you know, it will be better after the pain. It'll be right. better you have the experience you were right so next time now it's a little bit easier it still hurts it's still fucking horrible um yeah. but it's a little easier because you know you've done it you know 20 30 50 times and every time you felt better so yeah yeah, yeah. you know I, i'm totally with you on yeah and do you think so so this this pushing yourself towards authenticity this goes to a one question i had for you. I mean, I, I have a, a list of, of a long list of questions for you, but one is just like, to what extent do you push yourself to have adventures to ha to go, you know, hang out on a buddy's roof and, or go shit down a wall or go move to <laughs> Barcelona or whatever. Like how much, how much of this, I, I can't, I have a hard time telling whether, you know, you're just, maybe you're just built kind of in a way that is, you know, impulsive and adventurous. And it's kind of like a, a trait of yours, like a personality trait of yours. Or is this something that, you know, you're kind of making a conscious effort to push yourself to have a life where you've got, you know, you leave your mark, you, you got stories to tell. Like, is, is this something that you're, putting a conscious effort in to, to have adventures, to go towards authenticity, to go to swim against the tide? Or is this something that it, you just have always been this way and it just kind of happens naturally for you? Well, I don't think like, I'm, I'm not naturally like an adventurer, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm not, um, you know, uh, Jim Krakauer or somebody who goes and climbs mountains and, you know, I'm going to be the first one to raft down this tributary of the Amazon, you know, like I don't set out to do stuff like that. And, you know, honestly, I, you know, I love traveling, but my idea of traveling is to go somewhere really beautiful and kind of exotic and, and off the trail and with, you know, hints of, of like primitive authenticity, but where I can also get a cappuccino and uh, you know, the, there aren't bugs in my room and snakes and, you know, like, especially this time in my life when I was younger, I put up with a lot more craziness, but you know, at this point I like a little comfort and, but I would say, I would say it gets back to, to what I was saying earlier. Like I don't, set out to have adventures. I set out to have authentic experience. Mm. I, I So <clears throat> it's not that I, you know, hey, I'm going to go shit down a wall in India. It wasn't that. It was like, I'm in India. I, I, I'm like, 
you know, I could live on the roof of this place and, and it's awesome. And, you know, I'm under the stars every night and it never rains because it's a desert. And I, I've got this incredible view and like, this is awesome. This is authentic. And mm-hmm. everything else just happens because I'm in that place or because I, you know, ate the street food or I, I got too high or whatever. But I wasn't right. like, oh, I'm going to eat a bunch of street food so I can get sick and like have an extreme experience. I knew people, certainly many of them, when I was like hardcore backpacking who were like that, who were like, I'm going to go and I'm going to climb that mountain and I'm going to, you know, push it to the absolute limit. Right. And I was never that guy. I was like, I'll, you know, I'll hike up with you to base camp and I'll hang. You can yeah. climb the fucking mountain. I'm going to hang at base camp because the view's awesome and, you know, there's a fire. Right, right, right. But you're chasing authenticity. You're chasing, like, something that almost like in the sense of, like, it, it just feels right in your gut or something. Like, is that what you mean by authenticity? Like, it just, you just kind of, there's like a knowing that you have that you... yeah want to get closer or further away from a certain person or experience or topic of conversation. Right. And also just a feeling like I'm not wasting my time, you know, I'm not wasting Mm. my life. And I think um, other people feel that much more than I do. And so, you know, I've, I've felt a, a, you know, a tinge of inadequacy sometimes where people are, you know, if I'm traveling and people are are going much further, you know, like I'm going to go live with hunter gatherers and I'm like, yeah, you know, bugs and snakes and uh, eating monkeys like, uh, no, you know, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm just gonna, like I said, base camp is, is sort of where, where I go. Like I've done enough that I feel like I've done something and I've seen things and I've met people, but I don't need to be that person you know, who goes to the limit Yeah, in anything. I've, I've never felt that. And I, I think, you know, that gets to something, um, an interesting distinction for me that I think about a lot, which is what drives people, you know, mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of people who are driven to extremes, uh, whether it's climbing mountains or making money or, you know, fucking lots of women or or whatever it is, are driven by a sense of inadequacy, that they've mm-hmm. got a hole that needs to be filled that will never be filled. They're, you know, as George Michael says, you know, maybe your daddy didn't love you enough, girl. Maybe your, you know, your mama gave you up, boy. Like there's this uh, insatiable hunger just to get to normal just to get to comfort. And mm-hmm. I don't have that. Like I'm comfortable wherever I'm, I'm not driven by need to the extent I'm driven. I'm driven by desire. Like I would, I want to feel these experiences. I don't need to. Mm-hmm. I think that's different. Um, and I think that's an important thing that relates to this voice of authenticity, right? Because if you're driven to climb mountains because your daddy didn't love you enough, that's not the voice of authenticity talking mm-hmm. to you. The voice of authenticity is saying to you, you need to think about your relationship with your father. You need to think, you know, maybe go see a therapist and and dig through this stuff and find your, your peace and your balance 
That's the voice of authenticity, not the voice saying, you know, you'll show him, you'll climb the highest mountain, you know, you'll make more money than he ever did. That's not an authentic voice. Yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. And I think the thing that I struggle with there is, you know, I mean, you know, of course, you know, you don't want to like, you don't want to move forward and authentically for, you know, notoriety or status or power or money or whatever. But, but what about how much do you plan for the future? Like how, like some of it seems like it's just strategy or something. It's like, okay, well, you know, I have my desires now, but what about my projected desires in the future? And I I don't think my job is exactly a good, you know, a, a good representation of this. To me, it's like pretty clear that I should just leave and, but but I just do often spend a lot of mental bandwidth thinking about, you know, well, I want to have kids. So, you know, I do need to make, you know, this amount of money and save this amount of money. And, you know, I I do want to live in a way that's sustainable. So, you know, so I like economically. So I want I, I can't spend more than I make. And I do, you know, eventually maybe want to own a house. And so maybe I should you know, move a place, move, move somewhere where I could buy a house or I want my friend group. I want a, a, a kind of a group of friends around me that I can hang out with. And so maybe I should kind of root myself somewhere and then only make friends there instead of so far, I've been kind of nomadically making friends all over the place. And I, I, I kind of struggle with how much to think ahead. Like you seem like you have tapped into some ability to just not do that and and you seem to i could be wrong here but it seems like you have some ability to just have faith that it's going to work out and then it does or something yeah and then i die you know so all that planning who gives a shit right um but this gets back to the sort of instagram version of life right like i i relate to what you're saying very much and it's true i didn't you know, I guess when I was your age, I was starting to have those sorts of thoughts. Um, through my twenties, I didn't really. I was just like, I know what I know. I'm on the right path. This is awesome. I want to keep doing this, traveling, right, um, and reading and thinking and and you know, meeting all sorts of diverse people. I was, I was, you know, for me, that was a period of study. Like, I just want to study myself. Mm-hmm. I want to study the world. I want to study other people. I want to learn about women. I, I want to take psychedelics. I want to, you know, get into my own mental processes and, and my fears and, you know, just that's what I was doing. And it was when I was in my early thirties that I started feeling like, okay, this isn't really scratching the itch anymore. I feel like I've kind of graduated from that type of reality. And I don't want to be teaching English in 10, 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. for 20 bucks an hour or whatever it is. Um, and so that's when I, I started thinking about graduate school um, without a clear sense of what I wanted to do. I just had the idea that if I had a PhD in psychology, it would open up opportunities that would be more interesting and lucrative than, you know, without it. So um, I, w- I didn't have any, you know, long-term plan to write a book or, you know, 
do a TED talk or something. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think, you know, transparency requires that I say, I'm way down that road that you're talking about where I have, you know, 10 close friends who I value very much and, and love and have known for a long time, but they're in 10 different parts of the world. And that gets lonely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I live in a town right now where I know virtually nobody. Um, we just got here, just bought a house and, you know, hopefully I'm going to meet some really cool people, but I don't know. It's a small town. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, so, you know, that's an issue. I don't have kids and I knew I never wanted to have kids. So that liberated me from a lot of the concerns that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I can't say that my way of going through life would work for somebody who wants to have kids, you know, mm-hmm. because I decided I'd rather be able to quit a job I don't like uh, at the drop of a hat, uh, you know, and which means not having kids versus having kids and have to put up with some bullshit from some idiot boss or, you know, kiss some ass in order to pay the mortgage. So, um, you know, that was a, a strategic decision I made quite early in life that, that yeah. cascades into all sorts of other things. For sure. And who knows, you know, maybe I'm 61 now. I don't feel it now, but maybe in 10 years I'll be like, fuck, I wish I had kids, you know, somebody that, you know, I could talk to or who would, you know, yeah. Yeah. help me help me commit suicide <laughs> right yeah it can be a good use <laughs> use case for kids exactly. um, smother do you, me <laughs> um do you so that i'm interested in the friends thing like i really feel like i'm going down this path of you know i was, I was nomadic for a year and a half and now i'm living in new york a very transient place where people come and go and my, if you look at my best friends on a map, I mean, they're just all over the place. And, but I, I've been thinking somewhat recently about like what you, what even is a friend? You know, what do, yeah. what do you want in a friend? And to me, it's mainly just, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but it seems like mainly I just want somebody who I can hang out with and have fun and they have interesting ideas and hopefully they're funny and like, you know, but you know, it seems like there's this whole other world that is like, well, this person knows me and they knew me as a kindergartner. And, you know, we have, I don't know. There's this like kind of, you know, they, they have my back kind of sentiment or thing I can. And, and, so far, the friends I'm making are really fun to hang out with. They're really cool. Um, but they're all over the place and they're they're not the kind of people like um, it, it, there's I, I'm not viewing it strategically. It's one of those things that is non strategic. It's just kind of like, who do I want to hang out with tonight? And yeah. if I keep wanting to hang out with people, they become friends. But I, I'm curious how the. 10 different best friends in 10 different places plays out. Like, you know, do, do you just have a lot of phone calls? Do you just, you know, only see them when you travel? Do you, I, I, is there any, I don't know if regret is the right word, but like, do you wish you had 
when you were my age been intentional about who you sink your kind of friend time into? That's a really hard um, and important issue. Um, You know, I, I know people, for example, I just, I went to a guy's 40th, uh, birthday party recently. It was a surprise party that his wife set up for him. And there were probably 50 to 75 people there. People he grew up with, people he worked with. Um, and I mean, it, there was definitely part of me that was like, this is amazing that you've got 75 people who will drive, you know, six or more hours to camp in the desert for a weekend to celebrate your birthday. Now, of course, this guy's a burner, a burning man dude. And so, you know, he's got friends in that world who've got their RVs and, you know, they're always looking for a reason to go to the desert. I guess. <laughs> um, but it was, it was awesome. And I, and I thought, man, I don't even remember what I did on my 40th birthday or my 50th, you know? And uh, I mean, I'm not, I don't do that kind of thing, like big parties and all that, but, um, there is, you know, I've written a lot about the importance of community and I feel like that is a part of my life that in some ways is very impoverished because of the way I've lived, because, mm-hmm. you know, I've got like three really good friends in Barcelona um, but I don't live in Barcelona anymore. And, you know, I've got a friend in Australia and I've got, you know, friends in Holland and I've got friends in California and I've got friends. And so you'd say, oh, you're rich. You've got all these friends you know, your, your life is full of friends. Well, it is in a sense, but I, I don't hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, uh, I feel a great sense of community around the podcast. So yeah. You know, I, I talk into this microphone that you see me talking into right now and, you know, I express some sadness or some doubt or some grief or whatever. And I get 30 emails from people I've never met saying, hey, dude, you've, you're really important to me and you've helped me in my life. And, you know, my dad was dying two years ago and your podcast really kept me going. And I mean, I don't know these people, so... I don't know to what extent I can consider them friends, but I do feel a sense of like an enveloping community of love uh, from yeah. that. Yeah. So it's a weird thing, you know, strange thing. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another, another thing I, that I wanted to say, but you know, in response to your, this question is, you know, I, I was living, for you know a long time in barcelona and other places i was like in the expat community Mm -hmm. so that's an extremely transient community these you know because everyone's you know teaching english for a couple years in spain then going to korea then going here then going there or they go back home or you know whatever it's just it's not a stable by definition these are people who are traveling right? right so uh, I've had a lot of people come and go through my life. And as a kid, you know, I moved a lot as a kid. So I sort of made uh, 
emotional accommodation to that at a very young age where mm. I, I realized people came and, you know, came in and out of my life. And I think that one of the more painful realizations that I've had as an adult is that, is that most friends are, could you hear that plumber by the way? No. Oh, good. Okay. I, I hear him like sawing a pipe or something <laughs> right below me. Um, He's laying pipe downstairs. <laughs> Hopefully uh, not on the side of the wall. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, the painful realization that I had is that the vast majority of people that I've considered friends in my life were friends because we happened to be in the same place at the same time. And we had some similar interests. So we, we like playing poker. We get together Sunday nights and play poker. We like watching soccer games. We get together and watch the soccer games, you know, you know, we like cooking. So we have dinner parties or, you know, whatever, but the, but the friendship didn't go beyond that. So once uh, we were no longer in the same place or once that shared interest stopped, the relationship kind of dried up. Mm. And, you know, the first few times that happened, I was really hurt by it. I was like, I thought we were friends and I thought friendship meant you know, like the way, what friendship meant in sixth grade, right? Like, I'll fucking die for you. I, you know, I've got your back and we're going to be best friends forever. And yeah. And, and as an adult, that just isn't how it works. You know, like you're really good friends with somebody and then he hooks up with a woman and you know, the woman doesn't like you so much. And so bye, Mm -hmm. you know, it's over or he moves, you know, to another town or, you know, football season's over. So you don't see him during the off season because the whole friendship was based on getting together and watching football games. And so I, I feel like there's, um, like I tend to assume a depth to friendships that I've come to realize doesn't exist in most cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been, that's been disappointing. So yeah, like, Traveling and living all over the world the way I have, I would say one of the uh, steepest costs is that your your sense of community is very fractured. Mm-hmm. You know, now having said all that, when I think of the people at this guy's 40th birthday party, really nice people, but how many of those people are their friends just because he works with them or just because they right. grew up in the same town? Just for momentum. Yeah. I mean, they've just yeah. been friends for so long. That's and there's value to that, right? Like you said, like we've been friends our whole lives. There's something beautiful about that. Yeah. But it's very horizontal. It's lasted for years and years. It doesn't mean it's very deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there an implication of that? I mean, if you're talking to, you know, me or to your 31-year-old self, do you is there like, you know, to me, it's almost like, you know, you can go into a kind of nomadic travel-y exploratory lifestyle, but this is a, a hazard or you can not. And, and that's, and there's kind of a benefit. Like if you were 31 right now in today's age, 
Would you do it the same way you did it, you think? Yeah, because each step on that path was authentic. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're, you know, they're trade-offs all the time. So um, it to say that you're following the authentic path of your life is not to say you'll have no loss and no grief. I'm avoiding the word regret because regret to me implies that you wish you had done it differently. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't wish I had mm-hmm. done it differently, but that doesn't mean I don't recognize that there are costs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I recognize that having kids is, is, is probably the most amazing experience most people will ever have. Um, and I won't have that experience. And I regret that that's, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, something that's missing from this life, but I don't regret it in the sense that I don't wish I had because then I would have not had other experiences that I really enjoyed and that I intentionally sought out. So, you know, I think maybe, maybe something that comes across in the podcast that people hear as, you know, contentment or, you know, wisdom or, or whatever it is, is really just having accepted the rules of the game that you get, you get some things and you don't get other things. And some of that is within your control. Most of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, nobody chooses to have their parents die young or, you know, to, you know, have a auto accident that they have to recover from or whatever. Um, but the things that you can control, um, you know, it, just because you've done what you wanted to do doesn't mean that you don't look back and say, wow, I missed some really cool shit that, that other people have done. So, yeah, I think, I feel like, and I don't know if this really applies to your case or, or what, but I've been noticing a lot recently. I I, I have friends, Anya, my partner's about your age. She's a few years older than you. And so we have a lot of people in our lives who are in their mm-hmm. early 30s. And I've noticed that a lot of them are seem to be stuck at um, this sort of transition from... I feel like the, like the first phase of maturation as an adult is is seeing the world for what it is, seeing hum- other people for what they are. And a big part of that is disappointment, uh, mm-hmm. even rage. Um, and I think that's something maybe that's that's become more acute in the 30 years between you being 30 and me being 30, that the the, like... The rage, I think, is more intense. The the whole like the world is ending vibe is much stronger. Yeah. And yeah. to be a young person and be feeling like 
what the fuck, man? This party's not only the party's over, but the house is on fire. Like Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, thanks for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the oceans are dying, the ice caps are melting. You know, we can go down the list. The, the you know, especially in America, the political system is corrupt. The whole thing is just it's like a a house that's been eaten by termites, and it's just crumbling in every fucking part of it. Yeah. And and so I understand this rage and I think it's it's um justified, totally justified. The problem is that if you get stuck at that point of the world is not the way it should be and you don't move to the next stage which is okay, but the world is as it is and I've got to work with this. This this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And me being enraged about it isn't changing anything. It's just freaking me out. And I'm spinning my wheels. I'm wasting a lot of energy being angry and bitter and disappointed and blaming my parents and blaming the government and blaming the boomers. And bla- And I'm not um, doing what I can do to make my experience richer and and help the people around me. So I feel like... Yeah. A lot of people are stuck there. They're like, fuck, this sucks. Okay, it sucks. Get over it. Because what are you going to do? It sucks. Now what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like like people are getting stuck in trying to kind of figure it out. Like figure out what it is. Figure out what's wrong with it. When they should just kind of accept what's wrong with it and figure out how to make art out of it or make meaning out of it. And, and And I think that's a big part of the whole like you know, cancel culture, blame, yeah, the frenzy yeah. for blame, right? It's like, well, you've got to be accountable. They've got to be accountable. We've got to do this. We, you know, I was I was recording a podcast the other day with a a, a friend of mine who's a, a writer for the New Yorker, and we were talking about um, how hard it is to write for magazines these days because, you know, you're you have to be so sensitive to everybody's sensibilities and you can't offend anybody. And, you know, and he's a, you know, 64 year old white dude. And he's like, you know, I can't write as a 64 year old white dude. I need to like be sensitive to. And my, my perspective was like, but you are a 64 year old white dude, right? Like why, why can't you express yourself as what you are and let them worry about it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. I, I, uh, I've been, are you familiar with Rick Rubin? I would imagine. Oh, I love Rick Rubin. I was invited to go hiking with Rick Rubin one day, but it was, it was the day of my father's memorial service, which was like the one thing that I would not blow off to go hiking with Rick Rubin. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's horrible. Right. You, you yeah. denied a hike with Rick Rubin. That's a good yeah. story. Yeah. Story out of it. Um, I I've been reading his book. I'm about halfway through with his book, and it's it's so good. And I had a uh one quote kind of flagged to try to articulate why I thought this would be a good idea, or what I heard in the He Is Risen episode that that made me think we we should we should have a conversation. But I, I think it actually kind of relates to what what you're what you're talking about now with this New Yorker author. Um, a lot of a, a big prelude here to a very short passage, but it, it's in, it's on this chapter about point of view. He says a point of view is different from having a point. 
a point is an idea intentionally expressed. A point of view is the perspective, conscious and unconscious, through which the work emerges. What causes us to notice a piece of art is rarely the point being made. We are drawn to the way an artist's filter refracts ideas, not the ideas themselves. Mm. I, I feel like that's so true. Like we're drawn to the way that the point the point of view, the artist refracts the ideas. Right. But we're getting caught in like which ideas are right or wrong or PC or not PC, you know, and 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 I felt that when 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 you were talking about, you know, having told all your stories, it's like, no, man, like it's about how you refract all the ideas still. It's right. about your point of view, not your stories or something. Yeah, that's that's a good point. A, a friend of mine, Neil Strauss, ghost wrote that book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He said, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's true. And 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 uh, you're right. That's the point I was trying to make to to John Colapinto, the New Yorker journalist author I was talking about. Um, because we were talking about Norman Mailer and John Updike and these very um, not PC kind of authors who were writing in the 60s and 70s and how they, you know, you couldn't write Lolita today. You know, I mm. mean, a 40 year old guy who's attracted to a 13 year old, like, you know, you're going to write it. You know, forget about it. Um, but, I, you know, I think that you're right. I think the perspective, the point of view is, is the, is the value is, is what provides the value. Cause I mean, honestly, you know, I, I don't know if you've gotten to this point yet, but I, I definitely got to a point at some point in my life where I realized like I'm reading the same ideas over and over again, whether it's <laughs> Tibetan Buddhists or, you know, uh, you know, Shinto or, you know, the Vietnamese, whoever it is, whatever wise sage I'm reading, they're all saying the same shit, you know, they're, I'm saying the same shit. So you're right. We're all telling the same stories over and over again. You just tell it in a different voice from a different perspective. Yeah. And like, that's, what's, what's magic about it. Um, The, so, to to, to, attempt to do that attempt to shine something through your your prism here kind of related to the friendship conversation earlier you know i i know your you, you know your your life is different now you you've got kind of some some celebrity and you're you're not 30 um what do you think of you know if you were living in today's world as a as a you know 30 year old how do you think you would relate to social media to posting about yourself um and and just for context i feel terrified of it like i've never posted anything on any social media oh really this having a conversation with you is like you know i I sent you a frantic email earlier today being like can i use a pseudonym you know like it's it's very to be public on the internet is terrifying um but sometimes it can be you know, people can, can really show their authentic selves that way. And I don't know, it seems like the world is going that way or something. And I I wonder just your thoughts on, you know, if if you were 30 and weren't famous, you know, and were looking (laughs) for friends and looking for, you know, uh, a a life well-lived, how do you think you would relate to social media? 
Well, of course, it's all conjecture, but I hope I would avoid it. Um, you know, because, <clears throat> you know, we we're talking about like how rage is maybe even more justified now than it was 30 years ago. Uh, I think part of it is this continuing sort of campaign against reality, against authenticity and replacing everything with some sort of facsimile that can be monetized. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, friendship has become Facebook friends or Twitter friends and, you know, affection is, is likes and hearts and, you know, fucking facial expressions or emojis. And it's just like, everything is cheapened and commodified. And uh, honestly, the only reason I engage with social media is because I am such a huge celebrity and have um, millions of fans that expect me to spout out my nonsense political opinions on Twitter. Um, no, I, I, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Like, I don't really see any value in it. If you don't have some kind of public persona that you're trying to sort of, you know, just feed the monster and, and keep some look. The only reason I do it is that if I pitch another book, the fact that I have a hundred thousand followers on social media increases the amount of money that a publisher would give me. Sure. Sure. That's the yeah. only reason. Otherwise so is there, like this, the public persona thing, if you weren't an author, you know, and, and if you didn't have a job where it was, would benefit you to have a public persona, it doesn't feel inherently rewarding enough to you to pursue because no. it seems fun i mean it seems like you know you can you know you have an idea and then you say it on your podcast and then it you know you, it it propagates throughout the world and influences people and like you know there's there's part of me that that is very envious of, of that it seems fun but you know, well and i'm not thinking about the podcast i know i'm speaking about social yeah. media specifically but you know i've got friends that they you know they'll they'll post something, you know, my, my girlfriend who I've been dating for eight months just posted a, you know, they call it a hard launch now where you launch your, your, I, I'm dating this other person. And now everyone in her life knows that. And it's, and they're like, yay, you know, and, and, and I don't know, there's something, uh, I feel left out of the game a little bit. Like, Everyone knows about everyone. Oh, how was your trip to whatever? Because they posted about it, and, you right. know, and I'm just kind of in the lurking in the darkness, like not no one really knows about me unless they talk to me. Or, or I, I think you're like, like when I was young, everybody was getting tattoos. And uh -huh. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it because it seems cool now. But as soon as all you fuckers get tattoos, it's not going to be cool anymore. Mm. And, and I kind of feel like, I hope that's where I would be as, you know, uh, a young person in the world now, kind of like, no, what's cool is not to do social media. That's what's cool. Mm. What, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that the problem with social media is that it totally devalues your privacy and your ability to have any discretion about your life and from what i've seen the people who are most 
urgently sharing and, you know, um, proclaiming their happiness and their undying love and blah, blah, blah. Those are the people who are feeling it the least. Yeah, I I think it's it's a good thing to resist if you can. Uh huh. Yeah, and like, yeah, I guess just the fact that everyone's doing it doesn't make it actually right. Yeah. Uh, more likely the opposite. Yeah, yeah. If everyone's doing it, it's probably a good thing to avoid, especially if you have so far. Like, keep your cherry, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know how we're doing on time. Can I, I have so many more questions. I can keep firing away. How, how are we doing here? Um, maybe we, sh- can we pause for like 10 minutes and uh, I'll go see what the plumber's up to? Of course. I, I don't, they start drilling holes in places they're not supposed to. And then it's a <laughs> big right. problem. So let's take a 10 minute break and, and then we'll come back. Okay. Sounds great. Sounds All great. Right. Okay, that is the end of the free version. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear the next hour of this conversation, after I checked in with the plumber, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Substack. Uh, It's five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year. Do the math. It's pretty cheap. And uh, in any case, it supports this sort of no bullshit, no ads, podcasting and writing and whatever else I get around to book clubs and uh, bonus Romas and bonus Tomas and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there aren't any tiers. It's just the paid subscribers and the unpaid subscribers. And uh, I try to, you know, make it 75, 25, as far as content goes, most of it's free. A lot of it comes out, you know, maybe it's paid subscribers only for a month and then I open it up. Um, but honestly, I'm not real good at uh, at squeezing those dollars out of people. So if you've got them and you're willing to support the podcast, it's much appreciated. If you don't have them, don't worry about it. We love you and uh, stick around anyway. Thanks. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation
what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.